Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. Jeff Bezos, without skipping a beat, without feeling embarrassed in front of his executive staff, said, well, that's good data. Let's go test that. And his credibility in front of his staff didn't come from being right all the time. Mm. His credibility from his staff and his team and his leadership team came from being right most of the time and then being able to admit it 100% of the time if proven wrong. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. Go check out my book. As a matter of fact, don't go check it out. Go buy it. The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement, 11 Keys for Success in Sport and Life. Now, in the book, I cover things like laying the foundation of who you want to become, leadership and how do you use it in any environment, uh, the power of environments, developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity as your unfair advantage, and then evolving your standards. This book was created to help people, no matter where you are, I don't care if you're an athlete, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a mom, dad, no matter what, but it's to help you become the best version of yourself. And to do that, you gotta be able to understand yourself, yourself at the foundational level and what you want to become. So check it out. And if you wanna purchase it, you can get it on you can get it on Amazon, but you can also get it on my website. You can get an autographed version on my website, which is yourultimateplaybook.com. 
So my so my guest this week on the Shark Effect is Dave Selinger. Now, before we get going, I want to make sure that all my listeners make sure if you like this, not just this episode, I'm I, you're going to like it, but the other episodes, just make you make sure you subscribe, rate and review. Okay? Give me a review, give me a shout out, share it with friends, but only if you like it. If you don't, don't share it. Okay, but my next guest, Dave Selinger, was an early employee at Amazon. He worked directly under Jeff Bezos. He led the R&D arm of Amazon's data mining and personalization team. He co-founded he co Redfin, which is now a multi-billion dollar company, and founded Rich Relevance, a company that offers personalized shopping experiences for large retail brands, including Macy's, Barney's New York. Office Depot and others, but check it out. He is now inventing the next big thing in home security. It's called Deep Sentinel, and we're going to touch base. I want him to dive in on that. Uh, it's an AI-based home protection uh, corporation. The company's intelligent crime prevention transforms home security from false alarms and in, in ineffective after-the-fact crime alerts to real-time crime prediction and prevention. And actually, he has a, he told me a pretty cool story. Hopefully, he'll share that again, how that worked. But, uh, man, Dave, thank you so much for being a guest on The Shark Effect. Alex, so excited to be here. I, I've, uh, I've listened to a couple of your different podcasts, and I love the, the focus on, on messages and on meaning. You know, what you just said a couple seconds ago is exactly who you are, right? It's if you don't like it, then, then don't subscribe. But if you do... Like, let's let's, you know, let's go. Let's go do this together. And I think that just reflects such a great spirit. And so it's uh, it's really an honor to be here with you today. Thank you, Dave, man. Hey, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. <laughs> Amen. Uh, hey, don't don't Amen. ask me any questions about no cars under the hood. Don't ask me that type of stuff. OK, now when we talk about influence and leadership and like how to make something out of uh, out of nothing or a negative. I can help you out, my man. Amen. So, so Matt, tell me a little bit about me because I love hearing stories, okay? I love hearing like where people started and then where they're at now, the success that they had. And it doesn't matter in what field. I'm really inspired by like man, hearing those, those groundbreaking moments that kind of change the trajectory of you as a person or you as a, as a business person professionally. So can you tell us, you know, where you were and then what was that defining moment for you, either as a person or professionally? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think that the question's really interesting in that as an entrepreneur, frequently those two journeys are so intertwined and the, the experience of starting companies and running them have really benefited and become a part of my personal life. My kids are as important to my business as my business is to my kids. And, and, and that's, I think, something that a lot of people don't realize when you look at a company or you look at a, a leader or a business person is that those two things aren't, you know, in some spheres, they may be separable. In a particular issue, they may be separable. But as it relates to my story, and, and I think a lot of us, they are really just one continuous journey. And so I'll start at the beginning. You know, I grew up in a really small town in Southern Oregon uh, called Grants Pass, 
to a town that had like 15,000 people when I was growing up. In fact, I grew up in a suburb of Grants Pass called Merlin that had 300 people. Uh, so, I mean, not the smallest town in the United States, but, you know, it's up there. It's on the board. And how, um, how, how many stoplights did you have in a town? Oh, you just used a plural, my friend. Oh, uh, we, we, okay. Stop. <laughs> there was a stoplight just off okay. the freeway. Right. That's how I know, like, how big a town is for, for me. That's how I know how big a town is. Is it how many yeah, stoplights? Grants Pass had a bunch. Grants Pass had 15,000. That was a real town. But it, it was really one. It was right off the freeway. And that was the, the stoplight. You turned left there and then right and then left again. And then that was that was where my house was. Okay. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty small town. I loved it, though. I mean, my folks, they're both doctors. They're both immigrant families. Um, my mom's uh, from a Chinese Catholic family. My dad's from an Austrian Jewish family. They both came over to the United States during World War II. So I grew up with a lot of that first generation immigrant mentality of save money, don't borrow money, um, work really hard and, and hard work will be rewarded. And I love looking back on that. I'm 44 now. And looking back on that childhood, I feel so blessed to get raised in a small community where, you know, my folks knew the teachers and they knew the principal and things like that. And, and they were able to be active in my life. And, and that was just really neat. Some of the in, inhibitions or sorry, uh, some of the challenges of growing up in such a small town. So I'm a computer dude. I've been, I've been a computer programmer since I was six years old. And you learning said how to computer program computers. Dude. You said computer dude? That's me. I'm a computer dude. Computer dude. <laughs> so, so, so I used to be a nerd. Now it's a computer dude. Oh, Go ahead yeah. and say it. Go ahead I'm and a say computer it. nerd. Hey. It's okay. I, I watch Stranger Things. I'm a nerd. Hey, this world is this world is made up of nerds. Hey, I like nerds. <laughs> or, or no, I'm sorry, computer dudes. Yeah, I'm a computer dude. I, okay. Well, I mean, nerd wasn't really a, a term so much when I was growing up because you know you you had to have friends to call you nerd, and you know I just didn't really have that many friends in the first place. Okay. You know, <clears throat> so I was into computers since I was six. I had to teach myself because there wasn't really a community in that area. So I went to the, the county library, taught myself the program. I went to a bunch of uh, programs in the summer. My folks were really cool about sending me to computer camps and stuff like that where I got to broaden my horizons. I went to Stanford. I learned about artificial intelligence. I got to drop out of Stanford and do a bunch of startups during the original dot-com in the late 90s. I then joined Amazon, like you said. I I got an amazing opportunity there. I mean, I was 25 years old or something like that. And Jeff Bezos picked me to run just this amazing kind of bootstrapped brand new team. And that was the the turning point of my career to get to, to run a team doing cutting edge research. I didn't have an advanced degree. All my employees at the team had PhDs or master's degrees from Stanford, MIT, Carnegie Mellon, like the best universities in the world, in the country. And uh, and I got to lead that team. So it was a real honor to learn how do I develop leadership skills in an area where I have some knowledge, but really the employees that I had, they were way smarter, way better than I was. Oh, and we learned oh, how, to, how to accomplish things together. That is so <laughs> dope. Hold on, before you go on. So I'm thinking like, man, you hit on something 
that I didn't know. And I didn't know that was out there. But because I was so involved with like with sports and my mom would send me to these different sports camps and football camps and whatnot. But there's also like computer camps and clinics and things. Oh man, now you're gonna make fun of me. We got this no, nerd camp. No, no, this is so cool. No, no, this no, I'm on board. Yeah, I wish yeah. I was I wish I would have did something <laughs> so in computer camp. So you went down to Stanford. Did this the different camps? Did yep. you do that like every I mean, was that like a every summer type of deal? Or was it one time and Yeah, so starting in fourth grade I would go to summer camp. And uh, and I went every year, basically until my junior year of high school. And there were all kinds of locations. For the first three years, four years, they were uh, at University of Oregon in Eugene, the Ducks, go Ducks. Let's go. And go Ducks. Um, and I went to a computer camp there. I still remember the guy that ran that camp. His name's Eric Schiff, and he just loved computers and wanted to spread that with the next generation. And so he brought together computer nerds from all over the state. There must have been, you know, 30, 40 kids. And I, and I, for the first time in my life, felt like, gosh, there's a bunch of people that share my interests. And I didn't feel like the only, you know, loner computer nerd. Because, again, like, you got to remember in the 80s, even having a computer, even having used a computer at the age of 15 was, was pretty unique. Not everybody did that. Yeah. And, um and so, yeah, so starting in, 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 in fact, I have, I have right here for the people that are going to watch the, the video, or you can show this on, on the thing. I actually happen to have this because I was just going through my closet. This wow. is the directory from Computer Camp 1991. Let's um, go. And, uh, and my, my favorite thing about this is it has a picture of me with hair because I'm bald now and I miss my hair. Oh, I would I love to hair. see that. So. <laughs> me, and you, me and you both. So there's me, David Selinger. Oh, look at you. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so I went I went to all those things and then that's that really helped me get ready to go to Stanford because going to Stanford, you know, any top tier school, it's it's like athletes. You come from your little town and you're the king of the king. And you go to a school like that and all of a sudden you are middle of the pack, if not bottom of the pack, pretty quick like. Mm. And so I had to adjust, adjust my ego, adjust my perspective and and it was such a great grounding. I met all these people that were smarter than me, and I decided I need to be I need to be top of the pack again. <laughs> so okay. I, I, I busted tail. I, um, I I did some stats. I realized that most most people watch forty hours of TV or more a week, and so in my freshman year, I wrote off TV, and I was like, I'm going to spend those forty hours catching up with these kids that went to boarding schools and magnet schools and Palo Alto high school. And, you know, these kids that are super bright and I'm going to catch up with them. And it took me a long time, but I, you know, I don't know that I graduated top of my class by any stretch, but I was doing graduate level research in three subjects by the time I graduated, you know, and I, and I felt like I was so deeply engaged. I loved going to Stanford. Like I said, I dropped out for a little while uh -huh. to do the dot com. And then I came back. And one of the neatest things about that, I dropped out for about two years. And I did startups. I, I worked. I worked hard. I was working 80, 100 hour weeks. And so when I came back, I was 23. I was older than all my other classmates. But I had this context, uh, a slightly more mature context that college kicks ass. <laughs> you know, I, I had left that world. 
and I had gone and worked a hundred hour week. And I realized all these times that we as college kids are complaining, I don't have enough time. I, don't, I can't do this. I was like, oh my God, we have all the free time in the world and we're surrounded by people that support us. And our parents are like helping us do stuff. We don't have to earn our own way. We don't gotta go get our groceries and work for the groceries. This is easy relative to that. So I, when I came back at 23, I loved Stanford. That was the neatest kind of two year window of my life. Cause I, I was mature enough to, to understand what I was doing. Right. You know, your parents are always telling you, Oh, take advantage of this. It's such a good opportunity. And yeah. you, just, you know, like you do and you should do, you just tune the heck out of your parents. Right. They're just old, yeah. annoying people. But now I had that perspective. Uh-huh. And so I, I am getting to go to Stanford, man. There've got to be 20 Nobel laureates there. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go meet all the Nobel laureates here. Cause where else are you in your life that you could wake up on Tuesday and be like, all right, I'm going to go meet a Nobel laureate in, uh, in physics and ask them some questions and figure out what they think about. Dave, you but talking, you know what? At these schools, Dave, you're talking you big on me. Do that, and they have office hours. Hold on, hold on, Dave. You don't know. Come on, man. You saying words <laughs> I ain't never heard before, man. Come on. <laughs> you said Nobel Nobel laureates. <laughs> you, you, I, hey, my listeners. Yep. I know I'm not the only one that you know that's asking this question. What is a no? <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I'm assuming okay, that okay. it's like somebody who's who's going to be up for a Nobel Prize in the future. Is oh no, these are people no- that have already won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah. So these are people that won the. So there's a guy named Doug Osheroff. Oh my right? goodness! Okay. Doug okay. Osheroff. He won the Nobel Prize in physics. Right. So I got to go and take. He offered a fun class called photography and physics. So I went and I took a class on photography from the guy who won the Nobel Prize in physics. And I got to learn about how he thinks about taking photos and how that impacts the physics of the electrons and the uh, and, and light and how lenses actually work and how he thinks about those things as he's sitting behind a, a camera taking a picture. And then because we're at, at, at university, these people have office hours. So that means I could just go into their office and say, hey, tell me what you're thinking about. And again, having that extra two years of professional experience, I also realized these people are people too. So before I would go meet them, I would just do an hour of research, find out what are they working on? What are they interested in? What did they speak about when they went to Harvard last week and they gave a talk? about their research, about what they think is the next frontier of science or politics or math. And so I do that one hour research and then go and ask them to talk to me about it. And it was like their day lit up. Here I am talking to, you know, some of the most important people in the world, but they're used to being surrounded by kind of, I'm I'm gonna use a, a negative derogatory term, but like kind of pompous, kind of full of themselves college kids who just yeah. come and, you know, they think they're the king of the world. And if you instead come in and you say, hey, man, I saw you were talking about quantum physics and its relationship with relativity at Harvard last week. Why were you researching that? And the answers that they would offer, man, just amazing. I was able to tap in as I I went to Bill Perry, who was the secretary of defense for President Clinton. And I asked him, hey, can I do some research for you on the side? Can I just understand the policies that are important to you and I'll go do the legwork for you while you write policy papers on the anti-ballistic missile treaty and the non-proliferation strategy in the United States and present it to the president of the United States? 
and I'll go do your leg work for you. And you know what he said? He said, yeah, why don't you go do that? Can you go look up all of these papers and research that for me and then write a summary for it? And then I'll use that when I write the paper that I present to the president of the United States. Cool. Wow. So I did that. (laughs) So my my experience at Stanford was so cool because, you know, a lot of people are afraid of dropping out. And my parents are both doctors. They're super conservative. They were unhappy when I told them I was going to going to drop out of Stanford. I I told them I was going to come back, but I mean, you know, they poured all this energy, 20 years of like beating my tail to get me to go there and spending money and time and energy. And what I feel like I honored that for them was that when I came back, I gave it 199%, you know, I mean, I think I got more out of my college experience than almost anybody out there because of that extra two years of maturation that I had when I went back to school. And let me tell you, that's rare because, you know, most, most of the time, like kids, they, they uh, drop out or they do a, what they, a gap year and then they never go back. Mm-hmm. They never go back. Yep. Shoot, that almost happened to me. I got drafted, you know, to play in the NFL and I needed one class, yes. one class. And, but I made a promise. I made a promise to my coach Oh man, who forced me to make a promise to my mom that I would go, that I would get a college degree from the University of Oregon, and that after my rookie year, I sure enough I went. I didn't go back to Oregon, but I went to the University of New Orleans, and let me tell you, it was different. I was a little bit older. I think I was twenty three. Yeah, I think I was twenty three. Mm-hmm. I had way more money <laughs> driving up yep. in a you know, in a Mercedes than, you know, when I used to ride a bike, you know, the class, now I'm driving over a Mercedes. It was, it was totally different, but I did have a different perspective though. Yep. It was fun. I, I, uh, and and, you know, you, you mentioned it in in those words and it reminds me of of the important lesson, a couple of another lesson I I took away from it was the importance of finishing something. Mm. And it, it, it's not, I don't think that class made a big difference to you. And I don't think the classes that I took at Stanford necessarily made a big difference to me, but it was the act of finishing it, the act of committing to something and finishing it, that it allows you to move on. You stop making excuses. You stop rationalizing. You you, you don't have to keep that plate spinning in your head anymore or in your heart or in your soul. It's done. And I get to move on and it becomes a platform. It becomes a stepping stone for me to go on to the next step of my life. And so for me, um, as a as a very kind of numerical person, it's not a big difference numerically, right? The difference between 0.99 and one is a tiny difference numerically, but the difference is fundamental because I can move on from something that's fully done emotionally. And so that that led me to to going to Amazon. Um, that led me to then, uh, as you mentioned, I started a company called Redfin, which is a real estate company. All of these built on that kind of deep investment in, in computer science and, and artificial intelligence that I learned through that process. And that led me through Rich Relevance, which is my last company, and then Deep Sentinel, which is my current company. And all of those have to do with data and artificial intelligence, which I learned you know, in that period. One of the areas that I did research at when I returned to Stanford was in robotics and artificial intelligence. And, um, and that became really the jumping point for my career was that that kind of it's a it's a what's called a multidisciplinary study 
robotics touches mechanical engineering, the hard kind of bits of the robot, computer science, programming it, artificial intelligence, learning and sensing, as well as something called uh, control theory um, and, and uh, uh, math and, and a, a type of math called linear algebra. And so doing all of those things became the platform for me becoming an entrepreneur in artificial intelligence because being an entrepreneur is also an act of being multidisciplinary. You can't just be good at one thing to be an entrepreneur. You got to really kind of have a breadth of skills. And, uh, and that's, that's been, you know, the last 20 years of my career is leading these teams that have artificial intelligence and business and software and, 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 and. Frog Fuel Power Protein is designed as an everyday lifestyle product to provide full body benefits for healing and as a post-workout recovery supplement. It has 15 grams of nanohydrolyzed collagen protein. That's not whey protein, it's collagen, but it provides full body benefit. It has zero grams of carbs, zero caffeine. It's a complete protein with all the essential and not essential and conditionally essential amino acids proven to heal the body at two times its normal rate. No sugar, no fat, no gluten, no lactose, and no banned substances. It's a complete protein that's trusted in more than 4,000 hospitals. To get your 20% off, make sure when you go to their site, you type in the Shark Effect 20 and you get 20% off your first order. You're welcome. Deep Sentinel. Uh, if we can, if you want to change subjects to that, I can talk about that a little bit in terms of like yeah. how that becomes kind of the, that next step for me. Well, actually, I wanted to kind of combine some things that you, that what you did have a success at Amazon because you was at Amazon for how many years? Uh, I was only there for two years. Okay, for two years, and then did you? Yep. And then you co-founded Redfin. Yep, I co-founded Redfin as the CTO. Yep. So what were what were some things that you learned from the folks at Amazon, whether it's Jeff Bezos or, you know, the, the, the folks at Redfin? What were some of the like the foundational things that you learned that helped you start this new company with um, Deep Sentinel? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I really would point at one thing if I if I could. I, and it it's a that's a pretty reductionist view because I learned a lot. I mean, there's no doubt. No, you can't work. I love boiling like things Amazon. down. I love What's boiling that? things down. I love okay, boiling cool. so things I'll, down, Dave. I, I would boil it down to one moment with with Jeff, and and again, there were tons of experiences, but the one that I carry with me every day, every single day, as I think about how I run my business and how I think about my life, you know, it, it actually impacted the way that I responded to the pandemic. Is a lot of people that are former Amazonians talk about Jeff as having this, this methodology where in, he says, in God we trust, everybody else bring data. And I had this just glaring moment of truth when I was there. I, as you said, I ran this R&D division of artificial intelligence and personalization. And I'd run these experiments for Jeff and we, we're trying to learn what were the types of content to show to customers. If you just looked at a TV, do we show you other TVs? Do we show you more expensive ones? Do we show you cheaper ones? Do we show you the ones on sale? Like what, what do we do? What helps you find the thing that you want to buy? And in that process, 
we accidentally found that there's some third-party advertisements. These are ads for other products or ads that are paid for by partners of Amazon. <clears throat> and those ads, not only if they were done right, not only did the customers click on them and make Amazon more money, they actually made the customers more happy if they were the right types of ads and they informed the customer meaning that the customer ultimately bought more from Amazon because of these ads sometimes. And I went and I shared this with, with Jeff Bezos. And in fact, I did it in front of his entire executive staff. And I said, Hey Jeff, I want to talk about third party advertising on Amazon. And Jeff said something to the tune of Amazon is a retailer, not an advertising site. This is a stupid idea. I don't really want to hear much more about it. And, you know, that's generally not, not what you want to hear from your boss um, when you're <laughs> coming to present like kind of a risky idea to them. Yeah. But here was the moment. <clears throat> I said, Jeff, I ran experiments and I have data that showed that this is something that we should really dig in on. And I'm willing to bet my career here that this is something you want to see. So you hit so them with data. Him. You hit them with the data. I hit them with data. That word. And, and here's what. Here's what Jeff did that was amazing. Jeff said in front of his entire executive staff, after saying this was the dumbest idea ever, said, okay, let's take a look. I showed him the data. And sure enough, the data, data supported my hypothesis. And I said, I want to run a bunch more experiments and I want to figure this out. Even though you think it's a dumb idea, here are the data that, that suggests that it's not such a dumb idea. Jeff Bezos, without skipping a beat, without feeling embarrassed in front of his executive staff, said, well, that's good data. Let's go test that. And his credibility in front of his staff didn't come from being right all the time. Mm. His credibility from his staff and his team and his leadership team came from being right most of the time and then being able to admit it 100% of the time if proven wrong and, and, and to let go of the ego that is typically attached with being right. He, in front of his entire executive staff, admitted that he was wrong and was willing to explore something. That division, the advertising division of Amazon, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you guess. How much money do you think that division made last year? Oh, my gosh. That division, advertising. Yep, the advertising division, third-party ads. Third-party ads. Uh, how about $15 billion? $15 billion. It made yes. thirteen and a half billion dollars last year. Come on now, that was pretty damn close, Dave. Come <laughs> on, baby. <laughs> thirteen and a half billion dollars last year. Wow. So you're welcome. So, right. so you tell him, and, and, hey, and that was you're welcome, Mister Bezos. He, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you right. <laughs> if only, if only I could have uh, bought more Amazon stock right at that moment, right then, right. But um, you know. The, the, the key to that success, though, is most CEOs, most coaches, most leaders don't have that kind of humble pie willingness yeah, yeah. to admit a mistake so quickly and so deeply and turn. That's the thing and right so there, what I, you just said. It said because it happened quickly, like he said it. That's a dumbass idea, Dave. Go somewhere with that. <laughs> but then you hit him with his own words, because I remember you talked about yep. in God we trust and then data. So you hit him with the data and he was automatically boom, 
You switch back up oh, oh. data, right? A lot of people. And so get, for me in my yeah, my career, right. I try to replicate that. That's that's you know when you ask like what's the one thing I try to learn? That's the thing I carry with me. If any of my employees or coworkers or advisors or investors bring something to me and say, "You've invested a ton of energy and, and time into this, but here are the data that suggests that might be wrong," I want to explore it. Mm. You know, and and I think that's one of the things that. You know, we, if we fast forward to today, I'd say, one, I try to bring that to Deep Sentinel, which, you know, I'm happy to talk about. But it's also something that we as a country, we as a culture are facing right now. We as a culture have never had to deal with data the way that we have the last two years with this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Most people did not look at an exponentially growing curve since high school. And a lot of them didn't look at it in high school in the first place. But we're drowned in them today. We are drowning in exponential data. And we are drowning in people that are trying to convince us to interpret the data this way. And they're trying so hard, whether this is on the left or the right or whatever, that that when new data come in, it's very hard for them to adjust. It's hard to both understand the data and then to adjust to new data. We are resisting both of those phases. And, and what I'm observing is that it's tearing us apart. It's tearing us apart in our homes. It's tearing us apart with our friends. It's tearing us apart with our families, and it's tearing us apart as a country. And so, you know, whether whether you think Jeff Bezos is the the, the devil incarnate or you think he's an amazing entrepreneur, that lesson is something that I think we as a country can benefit from immensely. Being able to strongly believe the data as they exist in front of us, and then be open to new data. the The term that I use now for myself is strong convictions loosely held. Mm -hmm. I'm going to analyze the heck out of my convictions. I'm going to understand everything about them. But if you present me with an alternating view and an alternative view and you have data to support it, I want to listen. So, okay. So, so tell me a little bit about what deep Sentinel, how did that come about? You know, cause we are, we got the, the different securities out sure. there, you know, and, and I want to know what, what makes deep Sentinel different <clears throat> than, then um what's out there what's the oh ring like what's that ADT, why should i get deep sentinel? oh yeah adt yeah. all that sure so so i mean the deep sentinel is so, so my background like i said is in ai and, and and computers and stuff so my background is not in home security or physical security at all but i had this moment about five years ago after i left my last company where my neighbor had a home invasion and i was scared she had everything you could have. She had an alarm system. She had cameras. You know, she had uh, a, a very kind of safe neighborhood. And so I asked myself, I asked the police, I asked my neighbors, what could we have done to have prevented this? And I realized as I peeled back the onion that the existing systems don't do anything to stop crimes. In fact, the police officer, when I asked him, he said, what do you expect to happen? Her alarm wasn't armed because she was home. And what you want our cameras to do, like jump out and stop the crime. And that was the moment. I was like, yes, that's what I wanted the cameras to do. <laughs> I wanted different. the cameras to jump out and stop the crime. And so that's what I built. I built Deep Sentinel, which is a system that transforms regular everyday cameras by using artificial intelligence and a 24-7 real live man guard team to transform those cameras so that they do jump out and stop crime. So when you come to my house, the second you step over the property line, the AI is monitoring you. 
The second you start doing something suspicious, the AI says, I need a guard on this camera immediately. We get a guard on there in less than 10 seconds. You do something dumb and you're hearing over the audio. This is Deep Sentinel security. I need you to stop breaking into that car. I need you to put that package down. I need you to uh, get out from underneath that um, catalytic converter. I need you to not try to break into that window. I need you to stop vandalizing. Whatever you're doing, you're going to hear that. And at the same time, that person is calling the police and telling the police, I have a suspect. It is a white male, six foot tall, covered with tattoos, banging on this door. And I have an armed homeowner on the inside scared for their life. And what that does together is 90% of the time we're stopping that crime. As soon as a criminal hears you're being watched by the security company, yeah. bam, they're gone. And they should be. Because and it's at not the a same robot. time, we're calling the it's police like a real and person. providing them a description of the suspect. Yeah. It's not a so, robot. It's a real person. Real person. Okay. It's a real person. We're calling the police with the description of the suspect, what the suspect is doing, what the situation is on the ground. And we're enabling dispatch to dispatch a police officer who is fully informed of the situation, knows what the suspect is doing, knows who the suspect is. They arrive and they arrest the suspect. In fact, we let, let me give you a specific example. We had an example where it was a, a neighborhood in South Carolina where they had they were not in agreement with their police department. So the police department was working really hard to try to support that neighborhood. We called them. We said, hey, I had a package theft. This guy ran onto this porch, ran off before we could stop him, and he's at this location. Ten minutes later, that police officer knocked on the door. The homeowner, who was, one of, was our customer, she yeah. had been in the shower. So she's you know just, just coming out of the shower. She's in a good mood. Officer hands her the package and says, ma'am, you had a guy steal your package. Your security company called us. He's in the back of my car. Oh, wow. 10 minutes. End to end arrested. We, we have the only uh, arrests for package theft, crime in progress that, of any company that I'm aware of in the country. Um, we had another example. We had a guy who was, uh, who was banging on the door. It, it's that guy I was actually describing. He was a, a, a white male, six foot tall covered in tattoos, banging on the door, scaring the crud out of the homeowner. We called the police. Hey, I've got a suspect. The homeowner's on the inside. He is scared for his life. I need an immediate response. The police were on scene in two minutes and 15 seconds. That man was in handcuffs against his car. That's mm -hmm. the type of response we're talking about. This is a predictive, proactive security system. Nothing like it in the world. We do that for businesses. We protect cannabis dispensaries, warehouses, car oh, wow. lots, yeah. construction sites, um, and we do it for individuals. And we're the only company that's able to do that that fast, that consistently. Wow. When did you come up with this idea? Like, Yeah, so it was that home invasion from my neighbor that really you know, told me I needed a solution for my okay. family. I'm a business owner. I'm a dad. I got my two kids. <clears throat> I travel. Um, I want to make sure that they're safe at home. Yeah. And so I, uh, I, I realized when I started looking at that gap in the market, I mean, it's a huge gap, Alex. It's got to be, I mean, $50 billion market potential because there's so many businesses out there that they don't want to spend $150,000, $200,000 a year to have a guard sitting out front all day. That doesn't make any sense for them. Yeah. But they need to have more than a security system that doesn't work. They need something real, right? The amount of crime of theft of copper from construction sites, theft of automobiles, automobile burglaries, package theft, all that stuff is on the rise. 
And so there needs to be a solution. We're the only company that can even solve those problems. Like what's your alarm going to do if somebody's stealing your catalytic converter? Nothing. What's yeah. a ring going to do? Okay, I have this video of a guy in a mask stealing my catalytic converter. You know, what, I'm going to bother the police to go look at a picture of a guy with a mask? Yeah. All right, that's 100% of the United States population today. I, uh, who am I going to yeah, arrest? Man. What do you want me to <laughs> yeah. do about that? There's nothing that solves yeah. these problems. We're the only company that does that, and we do it amazingly well. So for me, Deep Sentinel is, is like a mission. You know, I mean, I've had the chance to be really successful in my career before. And, you know, my wife and I were talking about this last night. This has been a really difficult business to build. It's a hard problem to solve. Mm -hmm. But when you look at all the other businesses out there that are that are doing, you know, great computer science companies, the metaverse from Facebook, they don't really change the quality of life of the people that you touch. What I love about Deep Sentinel, what I wake up every morning to, man, that's just it, it, it keeps me so excited and inspired is I wake up to 20 to 30, 40 crimes we stopped in the last 24 hours. I wake up uh, on Christmas and on, on Christmas, we had our customers who would come outside and our customers would make these Christmas cards for us. They made, we had this one woman, she made this 16 inch wide by 32 inch tall Christmas card, hand drew the whole thing, said, Merry Christmas, Deep Sentinel. Thank you for making me feel safer. Thank you for protecting my kids and my family. And wow. she came outside, she showed it to her cameras and she waved to us and the guard came over and said, Hey miss, can I help you? And she said, I just, you know, I just wanted to say thank you. I wanted to say thank you because you changed my life. I sleep better at night because I know that I'm actually protected by deep Sentinel. That Alex, that to me is one of the neatest things ever. And I, I, what I think about when I think about that is, you know, I, I mentioned societal impact a minute ago. Imagine a world where everybody that you know, everybody, all your friends, all your family, all the businesses you're in, imagine a world where every one of them felt just 20% safer, 10% safer, mm. where they didn't feel scared. Imagine how different our interactions would be. Would we, would we honk at each other less on the freeway just because we're in a little bit of a better mood? Yeah. Well, we yell at each other on Facebook when somebody says something we disagree with. That's the world I'm trying to create is a world where everybody feels just a little bit safer. Man, Dave, I think, well, I know from talking with you, you've done a lot of work on yourself. Like you've done, you know what, you know what you love and you've been looking in that for a very long time. You know, we talked about how you went to these different computer camps. Like you are aligned, <laughs> you are aligned with what you're supposed to do on this earth. What it sounds like, the passion that's coming out of your voice. I mean, that's something that I think a lot of people, once they start to look deeper at themselves and figure out like how they operate. First, number, number one, who they are, right? Knowing like what what character is of, of themselves and how do they want to move in this world? How do they want to? like make an impact because we all can make an impact even if it's just one person that's important and i think you know with with what you've been doing the relationships that you've made because of the knowledge that you have that's big and i think we all are capable of it but you know just like you going to to school at stanford 
and understanding at an early age that, man, hey, how can I make myself different? Hey, I'm not going to watch 40 hours of TV. I'm going to take that away. <laughs> I'm not even going to make that in a discussion of, of you know, what's going to get in the way. What's really important and what do I need to sacrifice to get there? And it sounds like, man, you've been doing a lot of sacrificing, but you're making a huge impact. That's dope. I, I am trying. You know, I I, uh, I would say that I appreciate the compliment. Um, it's a constant journey, you know, in terms of trying to find who you are and 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 what matters to you. I think the other thing too that that was true in that story about Jeff Bezos and and, and just everything is that every part of my journey has been full of failure too and it's about flipping those failures into opportunities to learn and opportunities to grow and if you know if i took what you said and i say hey, yeah i made it you know i think that would be the end of my journey right and, and that'd be the worst thing i could do is it is to, to put an end to it we always have to grow more you know and, I, and that's um I, I had a mentor really early in my career a guy named um uh, Dane Borsma. He was the founder of a, a coffee company called Dutch Brothers in Grants Pass, which is a publicly oh, traded company now. Oh, yeah. um, I love Dutch Bros. Yeah. And Dane, uh, Dane, who, who, you know, unfortunately he passed away about seven or eight years ago. Um, but he used to always tell me, I love being married. I love being married because every day she challenges me. She challenges me in ways I didn't know. And I have to grow because of her. And, you know, it's funny. I obviously I haven't talked to Dane in many, many years, um, but I remember that. I remember him saying that and and just always being excited about learning and excited about growing and looking at every challenge as an opportunity to grow, not as a not as a challenge in a negative way, but as an opportunity to, to make himself better. And I. You know, it's been, a, again, a long time since I've seen him and, and I got, you know, God rest. Uh, God bless him. He. he uh, he was an amazing man and just an amazing mentor. And I still look back on that every day and I say, I, today I'm going to learn from my challenges. And, the, you know, I love him for that. That was, a, that was an awesome, awesome uh, lesson that he passed on to me. I love that, man. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Dave, man, how can my listeners get more of you, man? Are you on uh, LinkedIn or any social media? I want to, you know, how can they yeah, find so out more about Big Sentinel? It. Yeah. So there's two great ways to learn more. Number one is you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm uh, doing a bunch of posts that are kind of similar to this about data, about deep convictions, loosely held, about safety, about security, about my career, um, and about artificial intelligence. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. If you want to learn about Deep Sentinel, which I would highly recommend, or if you like watching entertaining videos, go to our YouTube channel. We got this YouTube channel. It's YouTube search for Deep Sentinel. We publish the 10, five or 10 best crime stops every week on our YouTube station. And oh, it's just wow. awesome. It's just awesome. We stop crimes all day, every day. Prowlers, trespassers, burglaries, people slipping and falling on their their, their front porch. <laughs> it's not a crime, but you know, you're, you're stuck on your porch. It's icy. You can't get up. We call the paramedics for you, right? Like oh, we, okay. it, wow. it, it's just amazing content about Again, what would happen if you could take your house and make yourself feel safer? What would happen if you could take your business and make yourself feel safer? That's what we do. So if you want to learn more about that, go to that YouTube uh, channel. Check it out. We've got hundreds of videos there, thousands of crime stops, and that's just that's what we do. It's the greatest compliment to hear from customers and hear from people uh, about that because, again, that's 
that's what we dedicate our lives to doing is making people safer. Love that, man. Hey, well, I'd love to have you on again, Dave. Thank you once again for being a guest on The Shark Effect. Alex, it was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever if you're looking to transition into something different this book can help you i break it down i lay down the foundation of who you want to be i have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter, developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps using adversity to your advantage right because we all go through tough times but how do you flip it how do you use it to power you okay and then developing your own standards so these are things that can help anybody not just not just athletes now there's some stories in there you know that covers topics that that resonate with athletes but i think overall this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.